Father, it is such a privilege to come into your presence, to know that you are sovereign over all that is happening in the world and all that's happening in our life. And for us to come today and just reorient our lives around your plans and your purposes, Father, to set our eyes and our heart on you. And so, Father, fill us with your spirit today. Overwhelm us with your glory. And God, draw us close to your heart. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we boldly pray. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated. Wow, praise God. What a great morning already, just being in the Lord's presence and so excited about today. This morning, we're beginning a brand new series, and it's a series on prayer. And I believe this is going to be a foundational series for all of us as we start this new year and all that God has for us in store. And so I hope and pray that you're ready, you're excited, as we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Teaching this morning is going to be Kelly Minter, and Kelly is part of our church family, and she is an amazing woman of God, and and, uh, she teaches in churches all across the United States. She's written multiple Bible studies. You've probably done a lot of her Bible studies and different uh, walks of life for different ministries, and God has just been using her. Her dad's been a pastor in Reston Bible Church outside of D.C. for over 40 years, and he's kind of one of my mentors in my life, and I'm just so thankful to serve God with Kelly and just so excited about what God's doing in her life. She serves in leadership here at our church and also on JMI and Justice and Mercy International on the board, and so, man, just get ready because it's good. I've already been at the 8 o'clock. It's been fantastic, so get ready to take a lot of notes as we talk about it and we kick off this series on prayer. Watch this bumper right here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning, Rolling Hills. It's so great to be back with you today as we start this new series on prayer. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer over the next several weeks, but today we're going to be just kind of setting the context for that and looking at the purpose of prayer. So there's so much for us today, and I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to teach on this because the Lord has shown me so much for me personally this week. I really feel like this message was for me, and so I'm just glad you guys stopped by today. So uh, when I was growing up, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and and there's four four children in the family, and we would sit around the table at night before dinner, and we would hold hands, and we would pray every night. And uh, I've got a younger sister, Megan, who's actually here today visiting, and then I have another sister, Katie. And then my youngest uh, of the family, David, is he's the baby, and there's an eight-and-a-half-year span between me and David. And so when David was about five, maybe six years old, that would have put me in high school, I think, and we were sitting around the table, and it was his turn to pray, and he had been actually learning from his Sunday school teacher how to pray Because at the end of the Sunday school class, she would go around the room and she would thank God specifically for each child and and specifically for something that she really um, cherished about that child. And so it was David's turn to pray and and we all held hands and he uh, clenched his eyes super tight because you, you do know the first rule of prayer is the tighter you clench your eyes, the more righteous your prayer will be and the more God hears you. And so he was 
that, that, that's not true. And so he's holding his head, he's clenching his eyes, and he says, and he looks up and he sees that my dad is next to him, and he says, thank you so much for dad, who works so hard for us and who always provides for us. I just love him so much. And, and then he saw Megan, and he said, and thank you so much for Megan. She always plays games with me, and she's so kind to me. And oh, and thank you for Katie, because we, we love to watch Nick at night together, and I just, she always is, plays games with me, and I love her. And, Oh, thank you for mom who cooks for us and who takes me to school. I just love mom so much. Thank you for her and and thank you for Kelly. Actually, I don't really like Kelly that much. <laughs> and that's what the whole table did. The whole table just erupted in laughter and he looked around like, what? I mean, are we not supposed to be earnest and, and, and just honest in our prayers? I mean, he truly had no idea. And, and I don't really remember what I had done. Uh, we actually, I saw my brother last night. He couldn't remember. But all I know is that he kind of holds it over me and that I have to babysit his three kids quite a lot to make up for whatever that offense was. But David was learning prayer, and he hadn't quite mastered the finer points of not throwing people under the bus. This wouldn't work in our small groups. But at least he knew that we were to be honest in prayer and earnest in prayer. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to look... Um, at our theme verse today as we get kicked off into the purpose of prayer as we learn how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says that Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. I love the imaging here because the author here is specific to tell us that, that, that this particular disciple came up to Jesus after he was finished praying, which of course he wouldn't probably go and interrupt him. But you do get the idea that this disciple had been watching Jesus, that maybe he had even walked up to Jesus and from a distance saw the way that the Lord was praying, saw the, pa- uh, the passion that he was praying, Jesus was praying to the Father. And there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that this disciple wanted to understand more about. He wanted to learn this. When you think about all the times you've asked someone to teach you something, have you ever, can you think of any time where you've asked someone to teach you something that you weren't interested in learning? Or have you ever asked someone to teach you something that you didn't want to do? No, of course, we, of course not. We look for teachers who can do things that we cannot do that we want to do or who can do things better than we are able to do them. Many of you all know Regina Pinto in this church and she's a great cook. And over the last several months, I have been saying to Regina, Regina, teach me to cook because I love cooking but I don't know as much about it as I want to. And so there's something about the way that Regina cooks that when I go to her house for a meal and now this is great advertisement, just go to the Pintos for meal for a meal, but when I go to her house, I love what she cooks and so it makes me want to learn. It makes me want her to teach me. And that's exactly what's happening here. There was something about the way that Jesus prayed. This was not a flat prayer. This was not void of relationship. This was not void of power. Something about it made the disciples say, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us how to do what you're doing? And you would think that maybe when it's something as big as prayer, you would think that maybe Jesus would have come back and said, well, okay, yeah, that's going to take at least 
at least the next nine months, and maybe on Wednesday nights we can meet for a couple hours, or, hey, there's, there's at least 4,000 commentaries that have been written on prayer. Why don't you start reading these few? No, Jesus doesn't do any of that. He simply says, when you pray, say this. Say this. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer, which we will be looking at over the next several weeks in much greater detail. But because this is how Jesus teaches us to pray today, I wanted to do that together. I want to respond and just do what he said to do. I just want to pray how he said to pray. And so we'll see the Lord's Prayer up on the screen. And this morning, let's take the opportunity corporately to do what Jesus said. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The reason that I had the Lord's Prayer broken up into two sections there is because of a text that happens later on in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a Pharisee that walks up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, um, could you uh, tell us what the number one commandment is? And Jesus responds by saying, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets Hang on that. If you love God and you love others, that's the greatest command. And it was pointed out to me in my study that the Lord's Prayer really reflects the Lord's greatest command. You see, the top is all about loving God. We love him and we want his name to be made holy. We love him and we pray for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. The bottom half has to do with us. We love others when we pray that we would have what we need when we pray that we would not be led into temptation, when we are forgiving. And so today, as we look at the purpose of prayer, I want you to see that the purpose of the Lord's Prayer, in its simplest form, reflects Jesus' greatest commandment, love God and love others. That's really what prayer is about, loving God and loving others. But let's be honest with ourselves, because... There's just no point in me being up here if we're not going to be honest with each other. We may know the purpose of prayer. We know it's about loving God, and we know it's about loving others, and it's even about loving ourselves. But a lot of us have some hang-ups. We have some questions about prayer. Maybe you have come in here today, and you say, you know what, glad we're talking on prayer, but I have to be honest with you, I've prayed, and it just doesn't work. I've prayed for my marriage to be saved, and it wasn't saved. I prayed for this person to get better, and they, they didn't get better. Um, I, I prayed to get this certain job, and I didn't get it. Prayer just hasn't worked for me. Or maybe you've come in, and you, you thought, you know, every time I go to pray, I just don't feel anything. I feel like my prayers hit the ceiling. It just, I don't feel anything. Maybe you have more philosophical questions about prayer. Maybe you've said, well, if God knows all of our needs and he, he already knows what we need, then what's even the point of asking? Why doesn't he just give us what we need? Or if he's already decided the end from the beginning, what's, what's the point? Why even bother and go to him? Maybe at the very bottom 
of all of this is you've been disappointed by the Lord, you've been disappointed in prayer, and maybe at the very bottom you are even wondering, is the God I pray to good? Is the God of the Bible, is the one true God, is he truly good? Can I trust him? And so I want to tell you today that I've had a lot of those same questions and I've wrestled with those same things. And today, we are not going to answer all of our questions about prayer. But what we are going to do is we are going to look to Jesus and we're going to see what Jesus says about God. What Jesus says about the God that we pray to. Because as I was thinking about the purpose of prayer I wrote this down, that the purpose of prayer is revealed as we get to know the character of the one we're praying to. Because if we don't know about the character of God, or if we are confused about the character of God, our prayers will not be effective. And so today, I want to see, when it comes to prayer, what does Jesus say about our God, the God to whom we pray? After the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, Jesus tells another little story about prayer, and it starts in verse 5, and let's just read this together. Luke 11:5. Jesus also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed, and I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I... I don't think it's an accident that Jesus goes into this story right after giving the Lord's Prayer. See, Jesus wants to explain to the disciples a little bit about the character of God the Father. And so he tells this little story. He says, suppose that there's this man, and a friend comes to stay with him, and this, this man has nothing to offer that friend. So that man goes to his other friend's house, and he goes to his house at midnight... And it's not a big uh, American, like, Franklin Williamson County house. It's a, just a one-room house where the whole family is probably sleeping in the same bed, and the door has already been locked, and now this man is beating on the door, and, and, and the guy says, I'm sorry, but we've already gone to bed, and my children are asleep, and the door is locked, and I can't do anything for you. But because this man continues to knock and continues to be bold, finally the owner of the house gives him everything that he needs. And then he is able to go back. And then Jesus says, so I'm, I'm telling you, ask, seek, knock. Uh, how much more will the Father give you than, than, he gives, than this man gave his friend? Now, I'll have to be honest with you. I've read this text before, and I thought, Lord, is, is this a 
story about how to be super annoying in our prayer? Is this, is this like how to best nag you? Like we will nag you until you give us what we want. I mean, this is the art of just annoying the Lord. That's what the story is about. No. Jesus is saying, I believe, in these circumstances, while a man is banging on the door at midnight, begging for something, if he gets what he needs in those circumstances, how much better am I than the man who doesn't want to get up at midnight? First of all, I don't even sleep, so you can come to me at any time. And I'm not limited in my resources, so I will give you whatever you need. How much better is God the Father? If that man can get what he needs in that situation, how much more do I, do, do, does, do I invite you to ask and to seek and to knock? And so what we clearly see from this text is that Jesus is teaching his disciples that God is good. That God is good. This is very simple, but I do think that if we don't understand this and if we don't believe that we are actually praying to a good God, it will drastically affect our prayers. So when we look at the character of God, we want to see, number one, our God is a good God. He is not going to withhold from us. He has everything that we need. He is not bothered in the middle of the night. We can go to him at any time. He also gives an even stronger illustration when he says, you guys being, being sinful, you, you, he's speaking to fathers out there, you, you, are, you parents who are even sinful, you know how to give good gifts to your children. You would never give a stone when your child comes and asks for bread. How much more will your heavenly father give good things that's uh, what he says in Matthew or here in Luke. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Jesus is going out of his way to show that God is a good God. But he also shows that, that we can ask, that we can seek, that we can knock. And so not only is God good in our prayers, but look at number two. God is responsive. Just, Jesus could not be any clearer about how responsive God the Father is to those who ask, those who seek, those who knock. He gave two back-to-back -back stories that he just couldn't have given it to us more plainly as he says, you, when you pray, know that our God is responsive. For those who have gone to the Lord and, and you say, um, you know, I just don't even know if God cares. I don't know if he cares about my marriage. I don't know if he cares about my job. I don't know if he cares about my needs. Jesus is clearly saying absolutely he does. And for those of us who have ever wondered, do our prayers matter? Do they affect, can we go to God with our petitions and our requests? Jesus here says absolutely. Not only can you, but you are invited to. You should do it. You should ask, you should seek, you should knock. Now again, this is a little bit of a sticking point because there are some of us who say, you know, I've prayed and I've prayed and God didn't give me the thing that I asked for. And it says whoever asks will receive. Well, James elaborates on this a little bit in his epistle and he says, you know, sometimes we don't get what we're asking for because we don't have any faith and we're doubting and we're, we're double-minded and our heart is divided. He also says sometimes you don't get what you ask for because you ask with impure motives. Your, your motives aren't to love God or others or, or yourself well. 
And I read a quote by a guy named Tom Wright last night, and he said, let's be honest here. The problem is not typically that we passionately ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we don't eagerly ask for the right things. And that's the, that's the truth. A lot of times, we, it's, it's not that we're passionately asking for the wrong things. It's that we're not eagerly begging God for the right things. And that's why we're not seeing our prayers answered. But then there are those times, and we have to be honest with one another, there are those times where we have prayed, and we've prayed persistently, and we've asked, and we've asked according to God's will, and we didn't get what we asked for. And I will not be able to answer that question for you today, but I can point you to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, right before he went to the cross, said, Father, if you will take this cup from me, oh, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And no one prayed more passionately than Jesus. He prayed so hard that he was sweating blood. And he he prayed so persistently that he went three times to the Lord asking, please, please, please. And the Lord did not answer his prayer in the way that we would have imagined him to. This was, if you will, an unanswered prayer. So I can't solve it all, but I can point you to Jesus. And I can remind you as much as I remind myself, hey, we're probably not passionately praying for the wrong things. Let's start eagerly praying for the right things. And even when we don't understand, let's believe God. Let's believe God and let's believe in his goodness. He is good and he is responsive. Jesus goes out of his way to tell us that. Would you now turn over to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at now a text that actually comes before the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is in two different places. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Probably two separate occasions. We just looked at what Jesus said about prayer after the Lord's Prayer in Luke. Now we're going to see what he says about prayer before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. So we're kind of circling around the Lord's Prayer today so we can understand more about the character of God. He is good. He is relational. Uh, Excuse me. He is good and... um, And uh, he is responsive. And now let's look at verse 5 of chapter 6. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is a little bit of a strange passage because we don't do this today. Nobody stands on street corners praying uh, out, out loud. And, and if we do walk by and they're doing that on street corners, we don't think, oh, wow, what a holy person. We think they need medication. So this, out of context, this is a little bit difficult for us to understand. But in that day, Jesus hearers would have very much understood that he's talking about these three times of the day where Jews would offer up prayers that were to be recited. So whether they had memorized prayers from the Old Testament or they had come up with customary prayers, uh, they would recite these, they would, or they would memorize them, they would recite them. And the idea was 
that you would pray at night before going to bed, you would pray in the morning when waking up, and then you would pray sometime in the afternoon, sometimes it would be around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The concept was that whatever you were doing, you would stop at that time, no matter what you were doing, you would stop right where you were, and you would pray whatever this prayer was, just to reorient you, to uh, refocus your day, to focus yourself on the Lord. The situation with these particular hypocrites is that they would actually plan out where they were just going to happen to be when 3 o'clock hit, and they always planned to be in the most um, conspicuous places. And so they would just so happen to be at the synagogue at 3 o'clock so they could be seen by all the religious leaders. Or they would just so happen to be on the street corner so that they could see, be seen by others and everybody would applaud them. So we get a picture here. Jesus says, don't pray that way. Not because they weren't praying to the right God and not because they weren't praying the right things, but because they were praying with the wrong motive. They were praying to be seen by others so that they could be praised and applauded by others. Um, I had my nephew at my house, and he's seven, but this was a couple years ago. He was about five years old at the time, and he came in and he said, you know, Kelly, what would be really fun um, while I'm here is if we could like watch some shows and then maybe if we could play some video games But my mom told me that I'm not allowed to ask you I Just am saying that it would just be really fun But she said don't ask you but if you suggested a show or a video game Then I would be allowed to but I'm just not supposed to ask you and I, I looked at him and I thought just for being so smart Yes, we will watch shows and we will because that was genius, you know, no, I, I, but it really in my mind I thought I have to reward that that was incredible. That was an incredible act there but The whole point is that did, Will did exactly what his mom said He didn't technically ask the form all of it was correct, but he kind of missed the whole point He kind of missed the whole heart behind it that would be for me to wait to offer that to him and Jesus is saying, don't miss the point. Don't think that it's all about being seen. In fact, that's not the point at all. Instead, go into your room. Go into a quiet place and pray to your Father, who not only sees in secret, but do you see that it says your Father who is in secret? There are certain things that we will only know about the Father in the secret places. And sometimes he will only show up to us in the secret places. And so we see that not only does Jesus say that God is good and that God is responsive, but we also see here that God is relational. Don't worry about what anybody thinks of you. Pray in relationship. To me, in fact, I have a feeling that if Jesus were here among us today, because we live in such a different society, he may actually say, hey, I'd like more of you to pray out loud in front of people. Because it's all about the fear of man or the approval of man, right? A lot of times we don't pray. We don't want to put our prayers out there because we're afraid of what people will think. That's the same issue of the Pharisees. It's just the reverse of it. And I love, I love, um, Pastor Jeff is just such an encouragement to me because it doesn't matter where we are. Jeff, it doesn't matter if we're in a restaurant or we're at like the park. He'll just say, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm like, oh gosh, you know, this is like, uh, you know, and, and then I go, oh, I love the, the, I love the faith. I love the faith. I love that he's willing. It doesn't matter what people think. It's about our relationship with the Father. 
And not only is he relational, but did you notice in this short text that Jesus says, pray to your father and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And the Lord's prayer starts with our father. If you have believed the lie that God the father is not personal and is not intimately involved in every single thing that you concerns, that concerns you, then you have believed a lie. Because these are Jesus' words about God. And he says he is your father. God is good, he is responsive, he is relational, and we also see here he is personal. He is personal. We just read in those verses Jesus holding up the hypocrites. And he says, don't pray like the religious hypocrites. Now he is going to hold up an entirely different group of people. I mean, the other end of the spectrum. He's going to hold up the Gentiles, the Greeks who are praying to myriad gods. And this is what he says in verses 7 and 8. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. What I loved about this particular passage is I didn't realize, I really hadn't thought it through, that the Greeks, so the non-Jews and the, the Gentiles, they would pray to these Greek gods, many of whom were nameless. Half the time they didn't even know what the names of the gods were that they were praying to. These gods were moody, they were capricious, they were unpredictable. The, they would come to the gods asking for what they needed, but they didn't know how the gods were going to respond. It was almost as if they would hope that the gods would wake up, had woken up on the right side of the bed, that they weren't in a bad mood. And they had this belief that if they carried on long enough with these just vain repetitions, these things that didn't make any sense, that somehow they would be able to manipulate the gods into giving them what they wanted. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, don't pray like that either. See, your prayers as a believer will be different from the Greek's prayer because your God is different. Your God is different. And he makes the distinction by saying, the God that you pray to, the God that we pray to, the one true God, he already knows what you need before you even ask him. And I've wrestled with this text before because I've had the question, you know, if, if, uh, if um, God already knows what we need, why even bother asking him? Why even bother praying? You know, when I said in the first service, it's like this is, this is just where my mind goes. I'm like a glass half half full kind of person like I love being around Jeff because his glasses it's not just full it's like overflowing all the time you know it's just it's just so inspiring and I, I'm not even really half glass empty I'm like who cares because the glass is probably going to break and so that is how I'm always struggling in these passages like well if he already knows what we need then what is he, what's even the point and it was so great because it was like the Holy Spirit whispered to me this week as I was studying and he goes well what would the alternative be do you want to pray to a God who doesn't know what you need? That's the false gods 
That's the Greek gods. That's the idolatry in the United States of America. Those gods don't know what you need. But our God, he already knows what you need. And, and what, if, what if he didn't know and we had to stay always a step ahead of him and we had to make sure that he knew that this was coming down the pike and this was coming down the pike and we'd need a little bit here and a little bit there. What if he didn't know? This is actually great news. This is all the more reason for us to go to the Lord in prayer because he already knows what we need. He is acquainted with everything that you need. Everything that you need today, everything that you will need tomorrow, and everything that you are receiving and all the provision that you have in this very moment, it's because he, know, he knew you were going to need that years and years prior. Do you see? He's, he's not like the false gods. He's got you. He knows you. He knows what you need, even when you don't know what you need. And so lastly, Jesus explains the character of God as being omniscient or all-knowing. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And he is omnipotent, all-powerful. Not only does he know what you need, but he knows and is powerful enough to provide for your needs. This is a beautiful picture of the Lord's character that Jesus gives us. As I was studying this week, I was reminded that everything we find out about God the Father today and his goodness and his responsiveness and his re- the fact that he's relational and personal and all-knowing and all-powerful, the disciples aren't giving us this information. The Apostle Paul isn't even giving us this information. Jesus Christ is giving us this information about God directly as it relates to prayer. There are no, there's no group of people that has affected my prayer life more than the jungle pastors and their wives who live in the Amazon jungle. Many of you know that I travel a lot with Justice and Mercy International to the jungle and to Moldova, and I've been traveling to the jungle for the last 10 years, and my heart are the jungle pastors and their wives. And on this last trip, I sat with a couple, uh, Pastor Manuel and his wife, Michelle, and you'll see their pictures up here, a lovely couple. They both uh, live in a part of the jungle that floods every year. So I want you to grasp this. Every single year, the Amazon rises anywhere from 7 to 15 meters. And there are villages who live in the areas where the Amazon floods, and every single year they lose all of their crops, and the fishing becomes very scarce because the fish go and they're able to take cover under the canopy of the forest. So no crops and very little fishing, and this happens every single year. And I asked this particular pastor, well, why do you stay ministering in this particular part of the jungle? And he said, well, my ministry is to people who live in flooding areas, so it would be impossible for me to live on dry land if my ministry is to people who live in areas that flood. And I thought, well, why didn't I think of that? That's such a holy, spiritual answer, such a Christ-like answer. 
He's going to live there because that's where people live. And he's going to identify with them because he wants to show the love of Jesus Christ to them. And so he and his wife began to tell me that there are times where food is very scarce and it's very difficult, and they've had many of these situations. But Pastor Manuel said, but you know what, Kelly? God always provides. He always provides for us. He knows what we need, and he always provides at just the right time. And I said, Pastor, I think that there is a story behind that statement. And he said, oh, well, there are lots and lots of stories behind that statement, but let me tell you one. And his wife, Michelle, perked up. And they both began to tell me a story that had happened 15 years prior. Their four kids uh, were very young at the time, and it was a Sunday morning. He was supposed to go help in church. They woke up, and the pantry was completely bare. There was nothing. And she said, Manuel, you cannot go minister at church today. You really have to go fish and try your best to find us something because we are so hungry. And he just, he just knew in his spirit that he, that he was supposed to take the family to church, that they were supposed to go and worship, and he just knew that God would provide. And so they went to church, and they worshiped, and, and then he was actually asked to stay and do something additional, and Michelle was like, I was looking at him like, if you say yes, that you were going to do that, I will kill you. We will end our marriage right now. And, and I just I love the honesty, and, and he said, I know. I said, yes, but I just, I knew God was going to take care of us. I just knew it. And so as they were on their way home, he puts all the kids in the canoe, this tiny little canoe, and he, he's explaining, he says, we're, you know, we're driving back to our, to our little hut, and he says, out of, just, just out of nowhere, out of, right out of the river, a three, over three foot long fish comes flying out of the water and just lands smack in the middle of our canoe. And I, I was like, wait, hold on, because I had a translator, and I'm like, okay, wait, no, 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 like, I'm sure I got something wrong. You mean you were fishing, and you caught this amazing fish? No, no, we were not fishing. We were just driving home. After being obedient to the Lord, we're just driving home, and this fish comes out of the water and lands in our boat. And his wife, Michelle, said she was trying to tackle it, and she's trying to hold on to it, and he's yelling, don't let go, don't make sure it doesn't get out of the boat. And I'm thinking, oh, let me just tell you, if God went to all the trouble to put that fish in your boat, it's not getting out. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's not going to get back out. And they said, we ate off of that fish for three, or excuse me, for the, the three-foot fish for one solid week, and we fed our family. And then I said, okay, pastor, what kind of fish was this? Because, you know, when they're fish stories, fish stories, you have to get your facts straight. And, oh, he said, oh, it was the arowana fish. Didn't say anything else about it. I went into the Manaus market, the fish market, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Finally found it. The reason I couldn't find it is because it is a delicacy. Most expensive fish you can buy there, practically. So I thought, well, of course, again, if God's going to go to all the trouble to provide you with a fish, he might as well make it a filet mignon. <laughs> and I, I just sat and I thought, you know, here's a couple. They're taking Jesus at his word. And they're praying for his provision. They, they know he's good. They know he responds to prayer. They know he's personal. They know he's relational. They know that he knows what they need and that he's powerful enough to provide for them. Church, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the people who are blessed, the people who build their house, 
on a firm foundation are those who hear my words and do them. And it will do us no good today if we get together and we hear what Jesus has to say about prayer and we don't actually go and pray. I would ask you to commit. If you're single, commit it with some friends. If you're married, commit it with a spouse. Commit it with your children, but commit over the next several weeks that you're going to do what Jesus said and you're going to pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be at Rolling Hills today. Thank you for this body of believers. I thank you that you have given us a way to pray, and when we don't know how to pray, help us know what prayer looks like. Help us at least be able to come and know the character of the God we're praying to. Lord, let us not be hearers only, but let us be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Kelly.